at Genesis 29, if you have a Bible, Genesis 29, and we're going to read through to verse, uh, chapter 30 and verse 24. It suddenly struck me, even as we were um, reading last week and um, hearing these words sometimes, even though the, the, the general story might be familiar to us, reading these words might leave us a bit perplexed. What on earth's going on here? Hence the importance of us to prepare ourselves as we come to worship. So can I suggest that um, you know what the next passage is going to be because it's the one after this one, as you do read it once, twice, five times. So it's in your head, in your heart, and then when you come, you might be able to uh, understand a little bit more of what is written. Just a, a practical thought. This is the Word of God, Genesis 29 and verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will come, become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So, she, so he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I die. I die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then, Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy am I. The woman will call me happy. So she named him Asher. During wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mad drac plants, which he brought to his mother Leah. 
Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes, or mandrakes even. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes as well? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So, when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So, she, so he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Isaacar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. And we thank God for this is word. So once again, uh, we submit to the word of God. Let's pray and ask for, for help. Lord, even the reading um, of these words uh, might perplex us, but we thank you for the honesty, the honest reporting of these things for our benefit. And we pray that we now will have teachable hearts as we seek to understand what you're trying to say to us this evening. Help us to hear um, and to be blessed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Genesis 29 is dominated by two weddings. You may remember that from last week. Jacob marries Leah and her sister Rachel. And despite the um, deception of Laban, despite, despite the disappointment of both Leah and Rachel, there's a great deal of romance in Genesis 29. For instance, verse 20, you'll see there, Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Ah, love is in the air. Can't you just, can't you just feel the romance? However, the romance that there may have been in chapter 29 is soon replaced by strife in chapter 30. A sister goes against sister in the battle for the affection of Jacob. And we're going to see here the problem of relational conflict in a, a post-fall world. Again, as we just mentioned a few moments ago, we live in that post-Genesis 3 period, and strife is common. Every relationship that we might have is tailor-made for the savage attack of Satan 
and his evil designs. And we need to be very careful in all our relationships, not just with our brothers and sisters, but with our spouses, our children, our parents, and even friends within the church, because if we're not careful, uh, we could have a patriarchal soap opera right here in our church or in our families. This is here to warn us and to encourage us uh, about how not to do things and about how to do things. But all in all, despite the strife, we're also going to see that God is at work keeping His promises and working out His plans despite these people and actually through these people. In our passage tonight, we're going to see seven, sorry, 11 sons born to Jacob to four different women, two they were married to, Leah and Rachel, and then two servants who became also wives. Then we also learn about Dinah, a daughter born. Benjamin doesn't come along until later in chapter 35. But what we have here is an account of, the, of domestic and marital life as told from the perspective of the two sisters. So we're kind of seeing this story through the eyes of Leah and Rachel. There are other characters, of course, in the narrative. We've got Jacob, we've got the servants, we've got the children. But the focus, humanly speaking, is on Leah and Rachel. However, of course, the main focus is always on God and what He's doing in and through these situations. Leah and Rachel both realized that life was not perfect, something I'm sure we have realized too. But what they tried to do is that they tried to control life. They tried to manipulate people and situations around them to try and make things right for them, to try and get things right their way. They did what was right in their own eyes, if you know that phrase. It's a phrase common, really, throughout the Old Testament. But it didn't give them what they wanted, and it didn't give them what they needed. Both girls, like probably all of us tonight, had high hopes and great expectations. Now, these things could actually only come could only be met by Yahweh, the Lord. However, Leah and Rachel did what we often do. They transfer from the Creator to the creature, from God to self and to people. And it's called um, disordered love. That's what, how Augustine described it. It's love, yes, but it's disordered love, transferring from Him to the earth. It's idolatry, it's sin, it's rebellion. It does not work, it cannot work, but it doesn't stop Leah and Rachel trying, and it doesn't stop us trying as well. If we try and live with this disordered love in our lives and in our families, it will lead to messy, broken, painful relationships. It always does. Leah and Rachel learned this the hard way. But as far as a few introductory comments are concerned, we also need to um, deal with this issue of polygamy being married to more than one um, spouse, most often a man having more than one wife. And this does not work. It creates dysfunctionality. It lacks the essential stability that family needs. It disobeys God's original 
for one man and one woman in marriage. Any other plan is contrary to His Word and will not work. But another thing we need to understand is, that, is this, that biblical marriage, guidelines as far as marriage is concerned, still can be hard, it still can be messy. Now, it's hard for us to split up this section uh, into neat sermon points and headings as I usually like. <laughs> you know me by now. Uh, it didn't stop me trying, but um, I didn't get very far. But after a few more introductory comments, I want us to look at this passage from 2931 right through uh, to chapter 30 and verse 24. I want us to look at the passage through the viewpoint of these two women, Leah, first of all, and then Rachel. But there's two other things we need to say as far as introductory comments are concerned. We need to understand the importance of the 12 sons of Jacob um, as they form the, the nation of Israel, the, the historical importance of this particular passage. The nation of Israel has its foundation here uh, in this passage. The fulfillment of God's promises made to Abraham and then to Isaac are all being basically lived out here right before our very eyes. So these 12 sons of Jacob form the nation of Israel the children of Israel, they're sometimes called the 12 tribes of Israel, they're also called. And redemptive history, right through to Christ, is revealed in and through this family and these 12 sons. We're going to think about the importance particularly of Judah uh, later on. The other thing that we need to understand is we need to be aware of the deep sadness and the deep sadness that was experienced by people involved in this section. And I think we should be sensitive to all of this. And perhaps tonight you're sitting here and actually you have very clear understanding of how Leah felt or maybe how Rachel felt. And maybe you can understand why they acted the way they did. And maybe this might be painful, but it also might be part of the healing process that God wants to lead you through. For instance, Leah was unloved, at least by Jacob. And maybe that's how you feel tonight, unloved by your husband. He should love you. He promised to love you. He's failed to love you. And you're hurting by the way, if you're a husband and you don't love your wife or you don't let her know you love her, shame on you. Shame on you. You promised. You keep your promise because God will judge you one day on that. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, you should feel loved by your husband. Rachel was childless, at least for a long time. Maybe that's how you feel tonight. That's your experience. And you wonder, will you ever have a child? Jacob felt blamed by Rachel. And there's a conflict between these two girls, these two sisters. They should never have been, but there was. Neither were happy. Leah, would you believe it, wanted the love of Jacob that Rachel enjoyed. Rachel wanted to bear children to Jacob in the way that Leah did. They each wanted what the other had. And they forgot what they actually were given by God. 
Such is life. Such is a dysfunctional soap opera. And sometimes, folks, because of our sin, we get dragged into such living and such thinking. And we need the gospel to set us free, don't we? Let's think, first of all, of, of Leah. Leah knew from the beginning that Jacob loved Rachel. Verse 18, he says, I will work seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. That was Jacob's deal. And it was very obvious how he looked at Rachel and how he ignored Leah. Everybody knew who Jacob loved. And maybe Leah got used to it, but it still hurt. Jacob did not desire her. She wasn't beautiful to him. She was almost invisible to him. And of course, as we thought about last week, then came the wedding day, and Jacob was tricked by Uncle Laban. The deceiver was deceived. And he was learning how disgusting his own deception of his father and brother was. Leah was half forced into this, we can guess. But we can also guess he was half willing, a willing participant in the whole scam. She loved Jacob. She wanted Jacob. And when Daddy said, you go and be the bride, the wife, she said, yes, I will. You see there, verse 31 of 29, that Leah was not loved. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, I think the ESV says hated. It's a stronger idea than not loved. It was close to hated. And if we were there, we could ask Leah, Leah, does anybody love you? Does anybody love you, Leah? And her answer would have been, uh, no. No one loves me. My dad used me as a pawn to trick Jacob to get some more cheap labor. My sister loathes me for taking her place on what was supposed to be her wedding night. And I stole her husband. My husband was so angry when he woke up and discovered I was his bride and wife. Who loves you, Leah? No one loves me, she would say. There was no divorce. But there's no love. Sadly, that's the situation in many Christian marriages. Oh, we would not dare go through with divorce. That would be a shame. But there's little or no love. Again, that should not be. Can you imagine how Leah feels? Insecure, rejected, hurt, trapped, lonely, angry, angry, angry with her dad, angry with Rachel, angry with Jacob, angry with God? What could possibly win Jacob around? There's only one thing probably. Children. If I can supply sons, particularly sons, to Jacob, then maybe I will win his love. 
And perhaps for the first time, there was a little chink of light for Leah. Because look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. She could have children, and Rachel couldn't. Notice there, when the Lord saw that Rachel was not loved, that Leah was hated, when he sees this, he blesses her, he gives her children, he's sovereign. And three times we, we see that God gave Leah a son. But notice each time that she's blessed by the Lord with a son, Leah's heart longs for Jacob. She's not really interested in the one who gave her the son. All she's interested in is, is Jacob. Verse 32, for instance, when Reuben was born, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Yes, the focus really on, on Jacob. Simeon, verse 33, because of the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. She's thinking about herself there, not loved by her husband. Verse 34, Levi, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Each name, in a sense, reflected her heart. Three times God gave her a son. Three times at least Leah failed to see past her hurt. She failed to see that God actually loved her. But God by his Spirit, kept on working in her heart. Do you notice when the fourth son comes along in verse 35, there's a change. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, this time, I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Judah. This time I will praise the Lord. Not feel sorry for myself. From feeling sorry for herself to praising the Lord. Who loves you, Leah? Jacob doesn't. Rachel doesn't. My dad doesn't. But Yahweh, he loves me. He really loves me. This time, I will praise the Lord. And that's why we started off reading from Deuteronomy 7. Who loves you tonight? Who loves you? God says loudly and very clearly, he says, I love you. We might think of ourselves as being unloved and unlovely. But loudly and clearly, God says, I love you. Not because you're beautiful, necessarily, and you are beautiful. Not because you're many. Not because you're intelligent. Not because you're holy. But because of grace. God loves you. Leah, Alistair, RPCers. God loves you if you're his. And we're loved because Jesus was hated. 
We are loved because Jesus was rejected and abused and crucified so that we might live and be loved, that we might be saved and cherished and valued. The creator of the universe, can you believe it? The king of the church, the Lord of history, loves his people. He loves you tonight. He loves you. And you've got to say that to yourself. He loves me. He loves us. Leah, hurt, lonely, insecure. Who wouldn't be? Leah, desperate for the love of this man, her husband, Jacob, learned the lesson that actually, I don't need Jacob. I should have his love. But I have the love of Yahweh, the Lord. There's some practical things we need to uh, work out from this. And, and the first is this. God doesn't always give us what we desire. He doesn't always give us what we demand. That's a big truth I think we need to understand if we're going to make sense of living in a fallen, broken world. Some of us here tonight live with aching loneliness. Aching loneliness. And we would cry, Lord, Lord, would you just give me someone to love? Someone who will love me. Someone to be with. Someone to embrace. And maybe the answer will be yes. and Maybe it will be no. Maybe it will be wait. Some people here tonight maybe long for someone in our lives to be changed. Changed. My spouse, I just want my spouse to be saved. I just want my spouse to be holy. My children, my parents, my friends. And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no and the mystery of it all can break our hearts. There's some of us here maybe just long to have happiness before we die. Maybe it's a child. God does not always give us what we desire, and it's tough. And I know even in saying that, how hard it might be for you. But here's the thing that we need to hold alongside that. God is sovereign over us. Have we really come to terms with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God? Where we need to learn to deny self, in a sense, what we think we deserve or what we actually desire or demand. We need to learn to submit to his will and to his way. Leah, Alistair, so often it's me, 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 me. And God says, no, I have a bigger and better plan. Have we come to terms with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God? It's tough, but it's necessary. If we're going to make sense of living in a fallen, broken world. Here's another application. Do we actually see God's blessings to us, the ones that he's actually given to us, rather than concentrating on the things that he hasn't given to us? You see, Leah did not have the love of Jacob, but 
she had his children. Rachel, on the other hand, did not have his children, but she did have his love. Neither could see what they had, but concentrated on what they didn't have. Isn't that what often happens? There may be things you're desiring. Oh, God, please give me. And the answer has been no. Maybe take a step back and say, God, what have you given to me? And praise his name. There's so much application here, isn't there? What about this question? Is God enough? Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. In our pain, we've got to step forward towards him, not away from him. In our pain, we've got to seek his face, seek his provision, and trust him. We've got to learn to trust him more. We've got to ask him, would you help me trust you more? The thing that really struck me, the first thing I saw is verse 31, when the Lord saw. He sees our heartaches. He knows the plan. He knows your part in the plan. He seeks our holiness, not necessarily our happiness, but actually the byproduct of our holiness often is happiness. He will have his way, one thing we can be sure about. But we need to perhaps say like Jesus, yet not my will, but yours be done. One of the Puritans writes, he is the water to our thirst, he's the bread to our hunger, he is the Shade in the heat, he's our peace in the struggle. He's the fulfillment of our deepest yearnings. He's the satisfaction of all our soul's desires. But we've got to... Um, we've got to grasp that. In practice, not just in theory. The painful fact is that often God uses our hurts, our desperations and our unhappiness to form us more into Christ's image. There are many benefits of being uh, at my stage of ministry. You've been with people. You've seen people come to faith. You've seen people leave the faith. You've seen people blessed. You've seen people backslide. You've seen people make awful mistakes. But do you know that one of the big things I can say about pastoral ministry is this. Often, he allows us to become desperate so that we might fling ourselves on his grace. Paul cried out, God, would you please take this thorn, oh, this pain from me, this ache, this longing, this... we don't even know what it was. And Jesus said, no. But he said, I want you to learn that my grace is beautiful, it's powerful, 
and it's all together sufficient. I want you to rejoice, to actually rejoice in weakness, because when you are weak in Christ, then you're strong. And so Leah, Alistair, RPCers, whoever you are tonight, he will not always give you what we long for. Even some of the things as a wife or a husband, as a parent or a child, as a member of the church you deserve and, and should receive, he may not always give it to you. But he's sovereign in everything. We can trust him. He's enough for all things. And he gives us lots and lots and lots and lots of blessing. Let's count our blessings, name them one by one. And as the old hymn goes, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. He seeks our holiness over our happiness. And Leah, oh Leah, will you not learn the lesson? Alistair, will you not learn the lesson? And people here tonight, will we not learn the lesson? And then there's Rachel. By the way, a big apology if your name happens to be Leah or Rachel tonight. <laughs> Apologies. Rachel. Rachel's story is very, oh goodness, is very different to Leah's story, but in many ways it's very much the same, almost like a mirror opposite. Rachel seems to have it all, the looks, the love of Jacob, the acceptance of all, but she's still needy, isn't she? She could not have children, as chapter 30, verse 1 says, and she's jealous of Leah. She has so much, and yet she has so little. When Rachel, verse 1, saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister, so she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Now, to some degree or other, of course, we're all needy here tonight. It doesn't matter what we have, but there could be something or some things we don't have, and what we lack can overwhelm us. What we lack can dominate us despite what we have, and, and she screams at her husband, give me children or I'll die. She's desperate. And who or what does she look to? I want somebody to satisfy my need. Give me what I want. And her first answer, of course, is Jacob. Do you see that? She said, Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Fix the problem, Jacob. Do something, Jacob. And Jacob's response is anger then, verse 2. Jacob come, became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Do you remember Isaac prayed to Yahweh for Rebekah to conceive? And she did. Rachel's approach is very man-centered, we're sorry to say. The second answer you'll notice is that um, this servant girl, then she said, here is Bilhah, my maidservant, sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too may build a family. It's history repeating itself, isn't it? Do you remember Sarah and Hagar? The result is Dan was born, verse 6. Notice the, the pride in her God has vindicated me, she says. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. The, re the process is repeated for Naphtali in verses 7 and 8. We'll not have time to read those verses. 
That's, that's a kind of a, some kind of bizarre game show, like a competition. Look, look what she says there. Um, uh, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. Well, the, the rivalry was intense, you'll notice. Leah thinks anything you can do, I can do just as well. And she uses her maidservant, and Gad and Asher are born. So the arrival of children brought some happiness but little contentment. Why? Because Yahweh was largely missing. God's name is mentioned here, but not Yahweh, not, not the Lord. So who, or what is the answer? Jacob? No. Servants? Still, um, still empty. And then we have this um, mandrake thing. What on earth are these mandrakes, you might wonder? Well, they're kind of um, an aphrodisiac. If you don't know what that is, ask somebody who's older. Um, I love fruit that is supposed to increase fertility. In verses 14 and 15, they grow in the field, um, and basically, Rachel says, give me some of your son's mandrakes. And, And to cut a long story short, she sells Leah a night with Jacob in the hope that the superstitious natural remedy would enable her to have a baby. But in fact, it's Leah who has the baby. And not just one, but two boys and a daughter. Issachar, 17 and 18. Zebulun, 19 and 20. Dinah, in verse 21. So everywhere Rachel looks, everything she tries, everyone she trusts in, it all fails. Who alone can satisfy you, Rachel? Oh, my, my husband fails me. My... My servant girl, she can't really help, and this even natural remedies, nothing's working. Who alone can satisfy you, Rachel? The Lord. Verse 22, the Lord. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her as she spoke to him, and he opened her womb. Exhausted, she surrenders to God. No more running, no more trying other answers, just trusting. And the Lord remembered Rachel and listened to Rachel and opened Rachel's womb. And Joseph was born. And he's going to dominate the last section of the book of Genesis that we will look at in the months that lie ahead. Do you know, the Lord made us physically and he remakes us spiritually to be loved by him, to be saved by him, and to be used by him. He gives us all that we need, and yet, folks, let's be honest, we forget His blessing. We can slip into fear and doubt and anger. We try and fix our problems, our ways, and sin warps our view of life and people, and we try and use God, and we try and manipulate people, and we try to create our own agenda. Learn the lesson, Rachel and Leah, and Alistair, and the people of God. Time's beaten us, but in conclusion, let's say something. This is very important. Jacob chose Rachel, but interestingly, God chose Leah. Jacob picked Rachel for love, 
but actually God picked Leah for redemption. Because historically, two of Leah's sons stand out. Levi, from whom the priests of Israel came, and Judah, from whom came the Messiah. Revelation 5, verse 5, Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. See, here again, God keeps his promises. And he uses people like Leah and Rachel. And he uses people like you and me, broken, fallen, messed up people. But you see, his grace is greater than our sin. And from Judah came a savior for his people, a lord for his church, a king for his kingdom. Despite the sin of all these people, despite the dysfunctionality, despite the soap opera kind of living, he's still on the throne, you see. And he will keep his promises, and he will build his church, and he will fulfill his agenda. And yes, he'll use people like you and me. He'll use us despite our weaknesses and our waywardness. But just in case you think that because Leah and Rachel acted like this, that we are really given a free card to go out there and do what we want. Caution. We're living post-cross, post-resurrection. We're living after Pentecost, and we're living with the revelation of God in our hands, on our laps right now, and in our hearts Let us learn the lesson. We don't need to make the same mistakes. We can learn from their mistakes. We can trust the Lord, His sovereign plan, and we can see His glorious, gracious promises lived out even in this generation. Who loves you, Leah? Yahweh. Who's going to fix your problem and satisfy your need, Rachel? Yahweh. Yahweh, we pray to you tonight as a people in desperate need of your intervention in all the issues of life, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our church. We're hungry for you and we desperately need you. And we ask that you will write these lessons on our hearts. And may we honor you, love you, and trust you. Thank you again for your sovereignty over us, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.